Ladies, welcome to week three. We are so happy to have you. Pastor Ashley is going to unpack an amazing word for us today, a shepherd song, Lessons from the Desert of Psalm 23. Get your notes out and let's dive in together. Ladies, welcome again. This is week three of a shepherd song diving deeper into the 23rd Psalm and all the lessons about the desert that we can draw from. I'm uh, so excited. You guys know this is my, this is one of my favorite passages, right? And even Pastor Angie and I were on the phone last night and she said, it's so fun to watch you get so excited about this specific passage of scripture. And it's, and I can't, I really kind of equate it to maybe even last night we, I said a couple having a song, right? Yeah. Like you and your husband, you and your boyfriend yeah. have a song, right? And you get so, and it, it's all the feels yeah. that it ignites. Yeah. And it's that moment that you realize it's your song, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Is usually one of your favorite times with that person. Exactly. I feel like the 23rd Psalm has been that for me. Mm-hmm. It's um, that beautiful moment of going, Oh, Lord, this is how you see me. This is who you are to me, for me, all of those things. And then so anytime I hear this song, right, it ignites all those feelings and all of the amazing memories, right? Everything God's brought us through, all the stuff. Today, we're going to dive even deeper. We're going to tread through another half verse. (laughs) Come on, what did we say? Military crawl? Yeah. So open up your Bibles or your workbooks, whatever you have that you're taking notes, your journals. The 23rd Psalm. Psalm 23, starting in verse 1 or before verse 1, right? A Psalm of David. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. I hope every single verse, right, just brings up what the Lord's taught us. Verse 2, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths. And I want you to circle that or underline it. He guides me along the right paths for his namesake. And I'm reading out of the NIV, but I want to look at the NASB, the New American Standard Bible. I want to look at that. Because I love the colloquialism that the NASB includes. Psalm 23, 3b in the NASB says, He guides me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Paths of righteousness. Another version translates that directly as straight paths. He guides me in straight paths for his namesake. Now I want to unpack this because this is another one of those desert pictures. Another colloquialism that if we didn't dive deeper and understand the culture and the terminology, we would completely miss this. I actually have a picture with me today of what paths of righteousness look like. See, we, we think it's a churchy word. It's not. It's, it's a farmer word. It's a shepherding word, right? Passive righteousness have nothing to do with holiness. 
in turn, we think righteous, right? right? We think holy. We think, you know, godly. He leads me in paths of godliness. Well, yeah, but that's not what that term means. He leads me in paths of righteousness is straight paths. And I want to show you this picture because the picture that I have is this desert mountain that you're seeing. And if you look closely, you'll see what looks like these tiny veins up the mountain. What these are are narrow pathways, super narrow pathways that a shepherd will walk along to lead his sheep. Now, when he's doing this, it's because he's doing one of two things. Number one, trying to get his sheep to a higher place. Come on, that will preach all day long, right? Or number two, a drastically different locale. Okay, so think about this idea of a shepherd wanting to take his sheep to a different place, to a higher place. And how does he do that? He takes them on paths of righteousness, on straight paths. Now, here's why they're called straight paths, because they don't curve. What do they do? They zigzag up the mountain. And I want, you, I want you to get this because it, before we go any further, it's so important that you understand what the shepherd does in these instances. The, so the shepherd, if I'm the shepherd and my sheep are behind me, the shepherd walks this very straight path and gets to a place where the sheep may or may not see him. And then he calls out to them. And then they are called, right? They are called to follow straight paths directly to the shepherd. Sometimes, again, think about it, friends. Sometimes they see him. Sometimes they don't. They're just hearing his voice. And then once they get to him, what does he do? He says, okay, I'm going to walk ahead this way, and we're going to go up a little higher. I know it's scary. I know it's dangerous terrain. I know it's rocky. I know that your feet might slip, but I need for you to know where I'm leading you, I've already been. And I'm calling. I'm calling out to you. You need to make sure you are listening. Such a beautiful picture of how to get sheep from one place to another. And you have to understand that a shepherd's voice is something that sheep are tuned into in a way that is so much further than what we could even fathom. I've been told over and over by my friends who actually live in the Middle East that they will see shepherds kind of at a watering hole or in a specific locale. And once they're done with allowing their sheep in, in that location for the moment, they'll call out. And there may be 10 shepherds with 10 flocks in one location. And the second that one shepherd calls out, guess what? Only his sheep come. Only his sheep come. And I was telling Pastor Angie last night as well. We had a long talk, didn't we? (laughs) I was telling her that so that most people don't even realize that in that culture, especially in that day, if a shepherd died prematurely before the the flock had been passed on and the, the flock had learned a new voice, the entire flock would often be slaughtered because they would never follow another voice. 
It's so unique. It now, friends, in knowing that, aren't you glad that your shepherd defeated yes. hell in the yes. grave? Yes. <laughs> he's, already, he's already handled that for us. Amen. <laughs> but Jesus actually references this exact phenomenon. In John 10, Jesus said, My sheep hear my voice. I'm reading out of the NASB. My sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. This passage used to discourage me, if I'm really honest with you. Because when I read that, the enemy would twist it in my head and go, Oh, well, you don't hear God. You don't hear him the way that you think you should, so you must not be one of his sheep because his sheep hear his voice. Have you ever dealt with that? Like, man, God, why am I not hearing you better? Well, I love how the NIV puts it because it's a lot closer to the original language. John 10, 27 in the NIV says, My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. My sheep Listen. Now, here's what I want you to hear from that. If you are his sheep, he's already speaking to you. Can I tell you, friends, even if you're not, he's speaking and desires for you to be his sheep. Right? Now, the confidence that we have is that Jesus himself said, oh, my sheep. Yeah, they're hearing my voice because I'm speaking all the time. My sheep listen. My sheep are tuned in in a way that they're hearing me and then they're following what I'm saying, right? Mamas know what I'm talking about. I, it, it, in this COVID culture, man, I, you know, I'm homeschooling, schooling, well, remote schooling. It's not homeschooling. These homeschool moms are like superheroes that I don't even, I, yeah, cannot relate, right? I am remote schooling, which in essence means I turn the computer on and make sure my kid is sitting there, and that alone is hard, okay? In this remote school culture, right, during our recess, <laughs> which is about as lame as it comes, you know, my, my world is typically, if it's sunny, glory to God, in the Pacific Northwest, I'm carting them to the neighborhood park, right? And I'm trying to work from there. And in that park, even if there's lots of other kids in the park, when my kid yells, Mama, I know it's my kid, right? Why? Because I've learned his voice, right? I I know him so well. And so I I want you to think about that today because it really is that same idea of not just hearing, but a listening, a being tuned in. The shepherd walking before us in this way and calling out to us and us understanding that it's his voice that he's gone ahead of us and and calling to us in this way is another beautiful picture of daily bread right it's that green pastures that we keep talking about we keep going back to it's this idea that he's not telling you the entirety of the journey he said no no no. here's the next step come this way come this way Jenny Come this way. This is where I am right now. This is where I am today. I want you in this place today. And then tomorrow we're moving on higher. And it's everything that he's calling us to. 
So today to unpack this idea, for it to get into our souls, this idea of what paths of righteousness, straight paths really are, I thought I would unpack a little bit of the question that I get the most often from women. And that's, Pastor, how can I hear God better? How can I hear His voice better? How can I be a better listener? How can I be more tuned in to what the Holy Spirit's saying? Because we talk about that all the time at Church for All Nations. We talk about the Lord is speaking to you. Sometimes it takes practice. But how do I get better at really listening, at hearing Him and what He's saying? And so today, if we want to be led by Him in the path of righteousness, I do. I have three areas that I believe are imperative to hearing the voice of God better. To hearing the voice of God better. The very first one, if you're taking notes, is the time. The time. Well, what do you mean, the time? I think sometimes we try to make this thing with God so clinical. And Ultimately, friends, it is a relationship. That's what He desires with us, a relationship. Amber, we've talked about it a ton. You've even compared it to dancing, right? Like, it's so beautiful. He wants a relationship, and relationships take time, right? I'm not talking about salvation. Salvation doesn't take time, right? Salvation is immediate. When you believe, I'm talking about the nurturing of a relationship to hear His voice better. And it takes time. And I was laughing, thinking about the first phone calls with Pastor J.F. and myself. He was not a pastor then. (laughs) Far from it. (laughs) And there's a um, device that many of you watching would not be familiar with. Um, it doesn't look like anything that you would use uh, nowadays, but it, um, we called it a landline. <laughs> and uh, it was a phone that oftentimes was even attached to a wall. I know, you, it doesn't even make sense, right? There were cords hanging from it. And here's what's wild. You couldn't take this phone anywhere. It stayed right where it was attached. It was just shockingly bizarre device, you know. And uh, I remember getting phone calls from, I, I called him John Fulton then, right? That's, that's what I still know him as. And so getting calls from this guy, John Fulton, that I was certain was trouble because you are never that handsome without being <laughs> trouble, right? And so I had convinced myself he is trouble. But I remember the first few times he called because, again, shocking, no caller ID. Yeah. There was no picture of him that came up on this, on this phone on the wall, nothing like that. And, and I would answer, hello, and he'd say, hey, hi, oh, it's John Fulton, right? And so he'd have to tell me who he was. I didn't, I didn't know his voice in that way at that time. But here we are, 11 years of marriage, eight years of knowing each other before that. And I can walk into a room, and if there's 50 people in that room, I can hear his voice. 
And in that moment, I already know if he's having a good day or a bad day, right? right. right? Yeah. I, I know if he's annoyed or frustrated <laughs> or super excited about yeah. something yeah. just from the tone. Yeah. Why? Time. Yeah. Time spent, yes. right? Yes. Time spent with him. Mm-hmm. Now, what if I approached my relationship with him like we often do with the Lord? Mm. Yeah. I'm just being real. What if... I put an alarm on my phone, not saying there's anything bad about this. What if I, the only time I spent with him, put an alarm on my phone, walked into a room, sat down next to him and said, okay, Jeff, uh, here's what I think I want and I think I need. This and this and this and this and this and this and this. And I want it done in this way. And I want it done in this timing. And I thank you for everything. I love you. Okay, bye. Is that that a relationship? No, No, that is Santa Claus. Right? Right? Right. But so often we think, oh, I'm going to go spend time with the Lord. Spend time with the Lord. And we have this list. And we have this entirety of what I want. And we talk the whole time. Right? We're talking, talking, talking. And then we go, okay, thank you for everything. And bye. But what if we approached it truly as a relationship? What if we didn't spend time with the Lord except for in ways that were enjoyable? Right. What if, what if we did? What if instead of feeling like, oh, I got to trudge through this obligation. I'm sorry. If I approached my time with my husband that way, I'm certain he would rather go watch a game. <laughs> but instead, what if we did our favorite things going on a walk or Whatever it is in your world. And we invite the Lord. Lord, walk with me. What if we stopped making it so religious and really did make it relational? Lord, walk with me. Tell me what your heart is saying today. And then we got quiet. Can I tell you how much, I'm just telling on Pastor JF, how much my husband lights up when I am quiet? (laughs) I'm telling it myself, I know. But those moments where you really are genuinely interested, yeah. those of you that have a significant other, what about those moments that are so intimate? And then when you walk away, you think, well, we didn't do anything. Yeah. We were just together. In those moments, I believe with the Lord, we learn his voice, his heart, his mind in ways that we can't approaching him and giving our list. Now, there's nothing wrong with taking what we need to the Lord, of course. But think about it in terms of a relationship. And if Pastor JF had taken the time to write me, I don't know, an email, a letter, and made sure I got it, would I read it? 
the cards, I'm a words person, the cards that I get, I read over and over and over. Mm -hmm. I keep them beside my bed. Yes. Do we do that with God's word? Yes. Do we read it in that way, yeah. right? Why? Because hearing him, knowing him better, it's, it's a, a lot of times about the time, right? right? The time. The second area that I believe will help us in hearing his voice better in a better way, a clearer way, so that he can truly lead us, right? Like the, that shepherd calling, going ahead of us, calling out so that we know exactly where to take the next step. The second point I have is I like to call it the text and the telling. The text and the telling. And I've taught a lot of this before, but I think it really is so important that I want to make sure that we understand it. There's multiple words in scripture, in the original language for the word of God, right? But two that I want to talk about today have to do with the logos word, which we've talked about before. And the simplest definition of that would be the written word of God, right? Your Bibles, your scripture. I like to call it the text, right? Mm -hmm. But then also the rhema word of God. And again, I know we've talked about this, but the easiest definition for rhema word is the right now word, the spoken utterance of God. And if you don't understand the differences between the text and the telling, meaning the written word of God and the actual spoken utterance word of God, then often you would fall into the fallacy that so many do. And I'll give extreme examples. So often we'll read scripture, the Logos word, and we will take it as our rhema word. Right. And I like to even go further and describe it this way. Sometimes we'll dive into scripture and we will see scripture describing something to us. And we will take it as scripture prescribing something to us. When often the Lord is just saying, this is how I worked in his life. I want you to know I'll work in your life, but we think it has to be that exact way. Pastor J.F. talked about Hosea a few weeks ago and how God called him to marry the prostitute Gomer. What a terrible name. Right. I mean, in general, but for a woman. If we didn't understand the differences between the Logos and the Rama, then we might all think that we would need to marry a prostitute. Yeah. Do you understand? Okay, let's, let's do another extreme example. Um, in John 21, Jesus sees some fishermen that aren't catching any fish. And Jesus says, oh, lower your nets on the right side. Well, if we took that as literally our rhema word, then we'd go out to the Puget Sound and all the boats would only have nets on the right side, at least the ones that believe in Jesus, right? And we understand the absurdity, but really understanding the differences make all of the difference in our understanding of how he speaks as well. I like to illustrate it in this way to really help us unpack. Um, when I think about the, the Logos word, um, this is something else that most of you millennials watching maybe have never seen. <laughs> it's a paper map, right? 
I know there's really not much use, but in this sense, I want you to think about the idea of the Logos word like a paper map. The Logos word is truth. It is truth regardless of what season you are in. In the same way that this map will give you the truth about the state of Washington regardless of whether you are in Washington or in New Mexico. Right? right. Because it is a statement of facts and truth regardless of the season. But if you're like me and are directionally challenged, you have no idea. Then I use Waze. Anybody use Waze out there, right? So it is a GPS app that literally I can put in a destination, right, that I desire to go through, or to go to, and it will give me turn-by-turn directions, but also (laughs) speed traps, where the traffic lights are, where they are taking pictures of people running red lights. Not that I would ever do that, right? right? It tells me where there might be an accident, all of these things. Now this doesn't give me the big picture information like the map does. This gives me the specifics for right now, the next turn. Now, friends, if this is the Logos and this is a representation of the Rhema Word of God and with God speaking over you and to you yes, for the next step, then we need both yes. the text and the telling. Yes. And part of why we have to spend time in the presence of God and also in the Word of God, I'm going to give this to you because I'll never be able to fold it back. <laughs> that's the other thing about maps, that's why we got rid of them. No one could fold them again. Exactly. That's why we need the text and the telling. Because you won't be able to have a standard to which to apply the telling. You have to be able to know the Word of God, to know what God would speak, what He would say, where He is leading, where He is guiding, before you can know if what you're thinking is God really is Him. And through His Word, right? Like the letter, the example of the letter that if John Fulton were to have written me a long love letter, (laughs) hint, hint, babe. You know, referencing back in in the hard times of the relationship, going back to, no, 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 this is what He says about me. This is how He thinks about me. This is how He sees me. This is what He desires. Going back to that truth, it's so imperative, the text and the telling. So we need the time. We need His his Word time with Him in His presence, enjoying it. Some of you have never enjoyed just the presence of the Lord. And that doesn't speak evil about you or bad about you it's you've been taught that it's this penance right it's just beating yourself into submission no no no. part of it is you need to get to a place where you begin to feel his presence so mightily that that you begin to allow him to pour over you to sing over you that it's an enjoyable relationship that's what he desires 
That requires time. Time with Him. Time in His Word. Time practicing hearing yeah. Him. Being okay with getting it wrong. Yes. Yes. I do. Yeah. Right. We do. Yes. The text and the telling. And number three, the last area that I believe has so much to do with us hearing His voice better, with listening and allowing Him to guide us in those straight paths, in those paths of righteousness, so that we can get to the places that He desires us to go. I called the last one the turning. Number three, the turning. One of the things that I love about the GPS, right, the, one of the reasons I need it is I am stereotypically blonde in that regard. That's the only regard. <laughs> and when I take, and not if, when I take a wrong turn, <laughs> or end up in a place that I didn't intend to. What does the GPS say? Rerouting. <laughs> Rerouting. Basically going, hey lady, turn around. You did it wrong. Why did I call this the turning? So often we talk about hearing God's voice without talking about how imperative the concept of repentance is in hearing Him. And repentance is a churchy word. I know it's not something we use really outside of the church at all. And we so often, unfortunately, equate this idea of repentance, we equate it with guilt. Repentance is not guilt. Sometimes we equate it with sorrow. Repentance is not sorrow. Repentance in the original language literally just means to turn. To turn. To turn. You're walking this way. If you're repenting, you just turn and go this way. How have we taken, taken something so simple and we've made it so completely complex. I feel like so often because we have turned it into sorrow or groveling or begging for forgiveness. Oh God, if you will just please forgive me. Right? We've turned it into all these things and it's lost the simplicity of just, no, just turn. You you're hearing God's voice and He's calling you this way and you, you realize, oh, I'm actually not going in the direction that God's voice is calling me. Right. Oh, Lord. And most of us, myself included, we fall to our knees. We freak out. We spend days and weeks mourning and groveling. Lord, I am so horrible. And He's going, I'm still over here waiting for you to turn. You still have a turn, wow. right? And then what happens is we're still on our knees talking, telling everybody how awful we are, like, like they have. And what are you doing? He just wants you to turn. Turn from that and back to him. 
Turn from the things that were distracting you and go back to Him. That's what He's calling us to. Not all of the other things. But the enemy would say, no, 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 no. You got to pay penance. Oh, you need to mourn. You, you know that sackcloth and ashes in Scripture? That's what you need to do. Heap it on yourself. Just don't turn. Just don't turn. And then what happens is we're still begging God to forgive us. And he's like, I forgave you forever ago for that. Why aren't you moving? Right? And he says, I have already forgiven you. But the enemy has convinced you. And you're still sitting in that same place, still crying over it, still dealing with guilt and shame that's not even on you anymore. And what happens in that moment then we start to get angry because, Lord, I'm not hearing you the same. And he's like, yeah, you're not hearing me over all of your stuff. Still in the same place, still wanting you to turn. Lord, I'm so mad because you didn't bring about in my life all the things you said. Still available for you. Just want you to turn. I'm still, I feel like he's like, over here, over here. Where are you? Just turning. There's a passage of scripture. Paul unpacks it. I, I love Paul. He's so, he's so cerebral, and I love the way that he unpacks this concept. And until the last couple weeks, I had never really unpacked this. The Lord hadn't unpacked it in my spirit so mightily because it's exactly what we're talking about. And this ploy that the enemy has to keep us from living a life of repentance. Instead, he wants us to live a life of sorrow. Look with me. 2 Corinthians. In chapter 7, starting in uh, this, let's see, we'll start in verse 9. Scripture says, Now I am happy, not because you were made sorry, but because your sorrow led you to repentance. Verse 10, godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation. And you got to underline that word salvation because that can be really confusing. He's not talking about eternal security. He's actually talking about your deliverance, right? So godly sorrow brings repentance. If you are feeling sorry for a your sins, for going the wrong way, for trying it your own way. That's not a bad thing as long as it leads to repentance. But the sorrow, and then he, he continues. He says, it leaves no regret. When it leads to, when godly sorrow enters into your life, when the Lord says, hey, 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 that's not what I had for you. It leads to repentance and leaves no regret. Why does it leave no regret? Because scripture is clear that nothing is lost in God's economy. Because when we give it to him, he can use even our screw ups every single time. So if you're living with regret right now, I want to ask you, have you turned? Because if you have, if you have turned, godly sorrow leads to turning and no regret because you understand you understand the concepts of paths of righteousness and even though you went that own path he's a good shepherd 
and he'll use it. He'll use it to bring you exactly where he intended in the first place. Let's go back to this passage. It's powerful. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to deliverance, right? And leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow, meaning the sorrow that the enemy tries to heap onto you, the worldly sorrow, feeling terrible about what you're doing but not turning, still grieving that wrong decision but not turning, still mourning and trying to pay penance but not turning, Scripture says that brings death. Some of you are feeling that death right now. You're finding yourself in that same place and you're going, Lord, how am I still here? I am so sorry for this. And he said, okay, great, but you can't stop with, I'm so sorry for this. Just turn. And I feel like there's someone here that's watching that says, there's no way I can get myself back to where I'm supposed to be. He hasn't asked you to do that, friend. He just asked you to turn. Just turn back to Him. He's not asking you to figure out the whole path. No, no. He's the good shepherd. He'll do that. He'll do that. All you have to do is turn. Verse 11. Paul continues and says, See what this godly sorrow has produced in you. Meaning, If you're wondering, Lord, have I really turned this godly sorrow? He already said it. It leads to repentance and then deliverance. Again, things will start falling off because you're walking in what he's called you to. And ultimately, I love how he puts this. This is what it will produce. Earnestness. What eagerness to clear yourselves What indignation, what I love about that, the earnestness means once you've turned and you realize you don't have to get yourself back to where God has you, He's going to do that. Then you get this strength. I can do this. Lord, you're just asking me. You're just asking me for one more step. All I got to do is turn and then I'm just going to follow you. You're not asking me to run. You're not asking me to earn this. And it produces a willingness, an excitement, a power, a joy, a strength that you didn't have before. It's not just the earnestness. He says it's an eagerness to clear yourself. Do you know what that means? All of those other things that have been weighing you down, you start to realize, oh my goodness, this is this has been keeping me from hearing you, Lord. Yes. I and it's just that eagerness, man. I got to get this off of me. This is not what God has for me. I want to take this off too. And you start getting excited about where He's taking you and letting go of all of those other things. What else does He say? What indignation? Then you get ticked off at the enemy and that's a godly anger where you have fire for everything that he is trying to steal from you and you get so mad that none of the ploys that he's throwing at you work at all anymore and you know your shepherd's voice and you know what he's calling you to and none of that is even a distraction what alarm what does he mean by that What alarm where you start to wake up to even the hint of something that would be that distraction. 
And you go, no, 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 don't step in, not that. I know what that leads to. I've been there, I've done that. And you start recognizing all of those traps. What longing. Oh, friend, the closer you get to everything he's calling, you don't want anything more than you want him. It is a longing of your heart, right? What concern with that longing? He says concern, meaning you start looking at the other sheep and going, no, 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 girlfriend, you don't want that. You want him. You want him, and he's calling us here. Come on, let's go together, right? It's concern for others. And then I love this because this is where we are, friends, as a church, as a nation. What readiness to see justice done. You will fight for what God is calling you to. You will fight to see others be able to walk in the freedom that God has. You will fight for what the kingdom of God stands for. And here's what's so beautiful. David said that, all of that in that one little phrase. He guides me in paths of righteousness, but he didn't leave it just there. Why? For his name's sake. Why does he do this? Why does he just walk a little way and then call out to me? Why does he not go the entire way and then just go, where's Ashley? Man, we really missed her. She took that wrong turn again, yep. Kind of known for that. No, 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 no. Why does he do that? He walks a little way and goes, hey, this way. Hey, I'm over here. I'm over here. I got your daily bread right here. I got, I got what I have for you today right here. I know you want to know the whole deal. It's not how I work, right? I know, I know it's scary to walk this ledge. I know you feel like you can't do it alone. Yeah, I designed it that way because you're not supposed to, right? That's why I'm here. That's what the shepherd says. And why does he have you walking those paths? For his name's sake. I remember having kind of a tough conversation with one of my Jewish brothers not long ago. And he's a Messianic Jew, and we were having the conversation about why. I I just, I simply asked, I said, brother, why is it that so many of our Jewish brothers and sisters don't believe that Jesus is the Messiah the way that you do? And he said, I hope this doesn't offend you, but you have to understand that as a Jew, we have been taught that a disciple or Talmud is to look exactly like their rabbi. And he said, friend, globally, Christians don't look like Jesus. So what happens is the Jew looks at the Christian and says, "Mm, you don't look like him, so he must not be real. And why do, I, why do I tell you that? Because Matthew 3 gives us 
instructions that fall in line with exactly, exactly what David is saying. Scripture says, produce fruit, meaning make sure, meaning your life will begin to look more and more like Jesus, right? We're talking about fruits of the Spirit. Produce fruit, how? In keeping with repentance. This idea of turning, friends, it is not a one-time deal. It is an every day, if you're me, every hour deal, right? And as the Lord begins to reveal, and why does it matter? Because we're already saved. We're going to heaven. Why does it matter for his name's sake? It matters because people are watching us. It matters because people are looking to us to to find out if this Jesus thing is real. People are looking to us and we are to point them directly to who He is, to His love, His forgiveness, His grace, His mercy, everything that He offers. Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. So just like David, we have to pray, Lord, search me. Search me, God, continually. And we have to keep our ears tuned to what the Holy Spirit's saying. And as He reveals to us things, because He will, every day, every day, the day He stops revealing things to you, I believe we'll be seeing Him face to face. Right? It's a journey, a lifelong journey. As He reveals, what do we do? Do we fall to our knees and cry about it for two weeks? No, we turn. You turn. Because the godly sorrow, and that's okay to feel that. Man, when we break his heart, it should break our heart, right? But that godly sorrow, it leads to turning. Turning. And then all of those other elements. Why? For his name sake. He has so much for us, friends. I want to pray for you. Lord, we just ask right now, God, that you would help this concept of straight paths, of paths of righteousness that you tell us you are guiding us in. This idea that you walk and then you call to us and we are to come to you. We are come to come straight to you, Lord, directly to you, exactly where you're calling us, Lord. Lord, help us. Help us, Lord, to trust when we hear you. God, I know you're speaking. You're speaking to every single woman watching right now. You're speaking to men that are watching right now, Lord. Help us to trust that we really do hear you. Even if it means we miss it sometimes, that's okay, right? What do we do when we miss it? (gasps) We turn. (laughs) Lord, I just ask that your Holy Spirit power would reveal to every single person watching just the time that you desire to spend with them. The time that you desire for them to just be in your word, not as an obligation, but it's just a passion 
and that there's not some sort of weird regimen where, oh, it has to be a chapter a day. Man, read three words and just delight in them. Chew on them. Lord, help us to really transform the way that we think about spending time with you, God. Help us to think about it as the relationship that you desire for it to be. Lord, help us to understand the power of your text. Lord, the power of Scripture. Lord, to give us this big picture, to show us so clearly, regardless of the season, who you are and what you say about us and your heart for us, Lord. Help us to understand that. And God, I ask that you help us to really, truly understand how powerful your rhema word is, God. The right now words that you have for us, what you're speaking to our hearts and our minds. Help us to know to know that it's you. And Lord, finally help us with this turning thing. <laughs> so many of us, and myself included, so often we hesitate because we think that you're calling us to figure out how to get back to the place. That, no, 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 no. Just turn. Just turn away from that into you. Lord, help us to do that. Help us to do it daily, hourly, to be open to what you're speaking, God. Open to what you're saying and open to what you desire to do in our lives, Lord, for your name's sake. We love you and we thank you, God. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Wow, ladies, what an amazing word. We want to connect with you. We want to talk about it. Make sure to connect with your circle group. If you don't have one, it's not too late. Jump online, cfan.church. We'll see you next week.